Good morning. It's good to see you. Good to be able to welcome you to Charlotte Chapel this morning. Particularly good to welcome you if this is your first time in the building to join with the church family that meets here. We're so glad to see you. Trust that as you join with us, uh, you'll know something of the uh, gracious goodness of God being poured out upon you and upon us as we seek his face together. And uh, if you're a regular here, it's a delight to welcome you. But could I say in particular, it is a delight to welcome uh, the children. Now, I think it's for almost two years, because of COVID restrictions and the way that we've had to operate, children have been going straight down to their classes. So I think it's a couple of years in which the children have not been in these services. And this is the first service back and we are so pleased to see you. Now if you are here, if you're one of the children and a little bit later you're going to be going out to your class, just give us a wave. Hi. That's it. Thank you. Nice to see you guys. It is so good that you are with us and we're glad that you're here because, you know, when we meet together like this it's really important for us because do you know what happens when we meet together like this? We speak to God, we pray, and we sing our praises. We express our joy and our longings when we sing songs together. And not only do we speak to God, God speaks to us as we read the Bible. And as the Bible is explained to us, God speaks to us. And we know the Word of God, the unchanging Word of God, the Word of God which is so real and relevant and powerful in our lives. And we just delight to be under the Word of God. So I know you're only going to be in here for a few minutes, but that's what we do. That's why we gather here. And it's why we are so pleased that you're with us also for the first part of this service. But that's not the only change. Uh, we've got the children back in with us. I tell you, two changes on one Sunday for Charlotte Chapel. This is really quite incredible. But there is another change that we want to tell you about. And that is that next Sunday, we are not going to be meeting at 10 a.m. We are going to be meeting at 10.30 a.m. So not 10 a.m., but 10.30 a.m. Um, we're making this change because some of, our, some of our older folks have indicated to us that they find the 10 o'clock service a little tough, so we are just moving it that half hour. And so please remember, next Sunday, you are more than welcome to turn up at this time. Uh, I think there may be something to be said for that, but you may prefer just to take a little bit longer and turn up for the service when it begins at 10.30 a.m., and that is from next Sunday, next Sunday, 10.30, and I'll be saying a little bit more about that later in the service for the sake of those who uh, have not yet arrived as well. So we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign one who we delight to praise and worship. And we're going to do that right now as we sing together, O great God of highest heaven. So would you please stand and we will sing together.
be seated. We're going to speak to God in prayer right now. Let's pray. Father, we have just sung that you are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. We thank you that praise and worship is so much more than just being in a building and singing songs, but rather it is the whole of our being caught up with the whole of who you are, that you occupy our every thought, our every action as we seek to praise and glorify your name. Father, we do indeed acknowledge that you are worthy for who you are. You're glorious and majestic and you're holy and you're good and you're, you're sovereign. You reign over all things. We worship you for who you are in and of yourself. And you're worthy for what you've done. For in grace, you sent your only son to be the rescuer of broken rebels like us. And we adore you for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came, that he took our humanity, that he was obedient in every way. We thank you that he was without sin and we thank you that he was willing in love to go to that cross and to take upon himself what we deserve. Thank you that there is a substitute for sinners and thank you that one is Jesus. And Father, we say you're worthy for what you're doing. Father, thank you that you are still at work. You're calling people to yourself. You've rescued many of us. We were hell-bound and lost, but in your grace, you found us. We thank you that you are strengthening the weak, that you're encouraging the timid, that you're speaking through your word, that you're preparing your people for glory. Lord, please, this morning, give Holy Spirit help so that we might worship you from our hearts, so that we might hear your voice, so that we might respond in radical obedience and passionate love. And Lord, please, be with the children in their groups. Thank you for them. And thank you for those who teach and help. Lord, glorify your name in and through their young lives also, we pray. For the glory of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Now, in a moment or two, uh, the children are going to be going out to their groups. And just in case uh, they or you are not aware of what happens, just to say this, all N1 to P1 children should be accompanied as a parent or a carer because you're going to go to the lower level for registration. So if your children are in that category, please, parent or carer, would you take them with you? Children who are P2 to P4, um, you can go out on your own if you want. That is at the discretion of the adult who is with you. And P5 to P7 children can generally make their own way. So... Kids, it's only been for a few moments, but we've been so pleased to see you here, and it's now time for you to go to your groups, and as the children go out to their groups, why don't we take a moment or two to talk to one another, talk to the person who's next to you, sitting behind you, sitting in front of you, let's greet them.
Hi, guys. Well, I'm so sorry to break into your conversations. Um, it is good to hear that chatter. Um, let's continue that after the service as we continue in worship, in our thoughts and deeds, praising God. Part of that is the way that we relate to each other and encourage one another and speak God's word into each other's lives and help one another. So, uh, though I'm interrupting now, it's not an end of those conversations. I've got two uh, brothers here with me. I've got Seth Amanfo and Ray Burbank. And the reason that they are up here and I'm going to speak to them is because they have both been co-opted as elders in the life of our church. It is such a delight and a joy to have these brothers join uh, the elders in our church family. And so I thought it would be useful if we got to know a little bit about them. Seth, let me first of all ask uh, you some, some questions. Now, Seth, just tell us something. How did you become a follower of Jesus? Thank you very much. So I will put myself in the Timothy generation in which uh, my early lives up to um, teenage years were influenced by the faith of my grandparents and my mom. But at the age, um, in 1998, I decided that I had to take the step myself and acknowledge my sins and accepted the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus and trusted Jesus uh, from then on. That's wonderful. Seth, tell us, tell us what you do. Tell us something about your family. So I came to Edinburgh to, to study first, um, and then after completing my studies in uh, 2017, the university uh, thought I was good enough, and they employed me to be a, a research fellow. I work on infectious diseases, but that <laughs> should not scare you coming to me. Um, I, I always clean my hands uh, before I leave the lab. So I work, I work on... Um, Neglected tropical diseases, mainly on malaria and schistosomiasis, also known as Belhazia. Uh, but generally, I also do program management between partnership with Edinburgh and institutions in African countries. Brilliant. That's wonderful. And you asked about my family. Yeah, tell us about them. <laughs> yeah, so I've been married for close to 11 years uh, to Josephine. She just uh, took the kids to Sunday school, and we are blessed with three children. Ohinawa, Andrew, and Benjamin. Ohinawa. Yes. Great. I think our Paul is the best person he who pronounces well. well we pronounce my daughter's <laughs> name. 
Uh, it's super. Ray, let me bring you in. Ray, I want to ask the, the same questions. How did you come to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I come from the southern part of the U.S. in a small town where everyone would say that they're a Christian. Um, so that was kind of the environment I grew up in. But it wasn't really till I was about 16, 17, just through the faithful witness of some uh, genuine Christian friends uh, in my high school, um, that really I began to, God began to work in my heart and kind of show um, that I was really separated from him. And so it was through the uh, gospel preaching of a youth pastor the, of a church that I started attending with my friends that God drew me to the feet of Jesus, really. I was about 17, um, and yeah, he changed my life from then on, really. Wonderful. Same question also. Now, so what, what do you do now? And also tell us something about your family. Yeah, so uh, we came here to do, I'm doing a PhD in uh, historical theology, basically, at, at New College here on the mound, and I study the history of Christianity in India. Um, we lived there for several years, and that's um, really where I gained the interest in it, and, um, and so hopefully I will uh, find a job afterwards, as, as Seth did, um, and uh, I'm married to Lauren, and, and we have two boys, Luke and Ben, they're eight and six years old. That's wonderful. Brothers, just to say, it is such a delight to be able to welcome you to the, uh, as it were, to the elders uh, here at Charlotte Chapel, and we're praying God will use you greatly, and we pray that you will be blessed as you bless us through, through your service. So, brothers, thank you so much. Seth, you're going to lead us in prayer now, so thank you. Shall we come before God, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your everlasting love towards us. You are a king and throne in the highest place, crown of glory, and yet you choose to dwell in our hearts by faith and among us when we gather before you in unity as a family. We worship your majesty and bow down before you, our glorious king. Thank you, God, for calling us into the kingdom of your dear son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of our sins. We praise you that you have given us access so that we can come before you and approach your throne of grace by virtue of Jesus' victory at Calvary. For who you are and for all that you've done for us, our hearts will praise and sing to you as our acts of worship and reverence to your holy name. The psalmist reminds us that Moses and Aaron were among your priests. Samuel was also do among those who called on your name. They called on the name of the Lord and you answered them. This gives us an assurance that uh, through Jesus Christ, whom you have made us royal priesthood, that we, when we also pray, you will hear and answer us. So Lord, today we remember all your benefits and all the good things that you've done for us and for your faithfulness. In Christ, you have continued to forgive our sins when we confess them before you. For even those who may not know you or not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the invitation towards sin being forgiven is still extended to them when you say, come unto me, all you who are heavily laden. We thank you for the many answered prayers such as the lifting of the cups on numbers of our brothers and sisters who meet at Christ Church Queens Ferry. We thank you for the work of our cross-cultural gospel workers, Daniel and Barbara Zidane, and their family, and for the excellent results of the Evangelistic Festival in Valencia, 
through which you brought more than 10,000 people to know and to follow Jesus Christ. We also thank you that over the Christmas period, you gave them rest and renewed their strength for the subsequent work ahead. Because you answer our prayer, we are confident of bringing our supplication before you. And so we pray for the planned festival in Porto La Cruz in Venezuela, which will happen in the next couple of months. That in spite of events of recent surges in coronavirus, the gospel and its spread in that part of the country will not be hindered. We also ask you to be gracious to Daniel and Barbara's son, Nathaniel, as he awaits the decision from the various universities that he has applied to. Your word says that the gospel will reach the ends of the earth before Christ returns. And we know that you are not slow in keeping your promise, as some of us may understand slowness. Instead, you are patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but that all will come unto repentance. And in view of your desire for all to come to repentance, today we pray for the unreached people group of Aziri in Armenia. Although the country was the first nation to become officially Christian, the long-standing bitterness between Aziri Muslims and Armenian Christians keep this population from giving a Christ a chance to transform their lives. But your word is sharper and more powerful than their resistant hearts and can pierce through them and shine a light that will transform them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. We thank you that the Bible and other resources are available in their language, and we pray that you will use this to reach unto them. We ask for opportunities for non-Armenians to share these resources with them. We also ask that God, through the works of honest Christian business men and women, that you let them be able to share Christ with the people of Aziri. The psalmist assures us that you are a good God and upright Lord. Therefore, you will instruct sinners in your way. Lead the humble in what is right and teach the humble your way. Let this be so with the Aziri people and all unreached people groups around the world. Now, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are unwell, hospitalized, and for those continuing some forms of treatment. We remember Celia Baron, Natasha Black, Sheila Howard, Sarah Forsyth, Elizabeth Cormack, Anne and Joyce Barford, Adrian and Aunt Vartod, and everyone who is experiencing any ill health. You are the God who heals our diseases, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if you did it for us in the past, you are able to do it for us today. We thank you that in spite of what we experience in our bodies through ill health, the assurance of your ever presence with us comforts our hearts to praise you in the midst of all our experiences. Lord, we pray about the ongoing events of rumors of war in Ukraine. In your sovereignty, these events do not take you by surprise. Although sometimes in our ignorance, we may question why they do happen. You do are not obliged to answer us for you are sovereign and know all things. But we ask that the peace that comes from you will prevail. And we pray that as the high-level diplomacy of world leaders continue, let this yield amicable outcome that satisfies both Ukraine and Russia to bring about lasting peace. 
We pray that for Christians and your people who might be caught up in this event, that you provide strength and wisdom and you order their steps as they continue to trust in your ever-present help. For as these events remind us that um, you foretold us and it also focuses our minds towards knowing that your glorious appearance is getting nearer and that we need to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, these requests are what we bring before you today, acknowledging the limitation in what we can ask and what our minds can even think of. But we know that in spite of these limitations, you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to be reading from the Bible passage, which our lead pastor, Paul Reese, will come and preach on in a moment. So I invite you to take out your Bible if you have one or uh, look it up on your phone. If you need a Bible, we can provide you one as well. We'll be reading from the book of Romans in chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Seth. Um, I've introduced them. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Andy Patterson. I'm one of the pastors here. And as Ray was saying, in a moment or two, our lead pastor, Paul Reese, is going to be coming and opening up God's word to us. Now, before we do sing uh, our next song, let me just give another reminder of the time change for next week. Some of you may have come in after I made that initial announcement, but from next Sunday, our morning service is going to be at 10.30, not 10 o'clock, so 10.30 from next Sunday. But before we come to God's Word, we're going to sing, and we're going to sing words from Psalm 67. Would you please stand?
Oh man, please have a seat. And let me add my welcome. My name is Paul Rees, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Chart Chapel. It's lovely to see you. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to be having some baptisms. And uh, just for those who uh, watch this on the live stream, just to know, we're going to be cutting off the live stream a little bit earlier uh, because we'll be baptizing other people. And uh, so you'll get to see all the baptisms if you come next Sunday in person. Uh, but we will cut the service slightly short in terms of the live stream, and we'll explain why next week. Well, let's pray and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you that you not only save us, but you empower us by your grace. And we seek a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit today to illuminate our minds and to empower us to live the lives of grace that you call us to live. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, have you experienced our opposition for being a Christian? Uh, in truth, for many of us in the UK, it, it, it's not too bad, really, is it? I think we've all experienced perhaps just feeling a little bit... Um, of uh, ostracized at times when people find out you're a Christian they can back away from you a little bit um, you get some strange reactions from people when they find out you're one of those serious Christians uh, the conversation can dry up a bit it can feel a bit awkward but that's about the extent of it for most of us but I know that others have experienced far more pointed and persistent opposition for their faith and sometimes more painfully than, than anything else, it's from their own family. Uh, and I think we are going to experience a bit more of this opposition uh, as Christians and as a church as we move forward in Britain today. Our Christian views are now viewed by some as toxic and bigoted. And uh, we're going to be maligned and publicly uh, there will be public attempts to shame us. Uh, last Monday, a few Christian leaders, including a couple of FIC pastors, uh, went to 10 Downing Street and uh, handed over a petition of 2,500 signatures of other church ministers, expressing concerns about the new proposed uh, called the Gay Conversion Bill, which could criminalize uh, gentle, non-coercive Christian practices like praying and teaching the Bible. Uh, and uh, so if you find yourself praying with people who are struggling with same-sex desires, who want to live for Jesus by being celibate, I think we're concerned that maybe some of those who advocate for this bill, they might want to prescribe this as illegal activity. And this week uh, following that, um, all those who signed that, uh, that petition found themselves named on a Twitter social feed by someone calling themselves Bigot Shamer. And the Twitter feed says it's seeking to name and shame these church ministers. Uh, it says this, they signed a letter to the government opposing a ban on conversion therapy. If I was a queer kid or a trans kid, I would not feel safe at their church. And then it names them. It does it for every single person on that list. And so we see what, what's ahead of us, really, is people will want to make us feel shame and uh, toxic, and uh, this opposition is going to grow. Now, I'm quite convinced that every church leader who signed would show the utmost compassion and care 
for anyone experiencing same-sex attraction or even someone experiencing gender dysphoria. And I would actually say that a, a safest place for a child to be would be in a church uh, rather than in an environment where they're going to be encouraged to quickly take puberty blockers and uh, you know, cross-sex hormones. I spoke to my MSP about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, telling him firstly that I'm not in favor of a gay conversion therapy bill because I don't even know what it is. I'm not a therapist. I've never um, counseled someone that if they become a Christian, it's going to change their sexual desires or orientation. Um, but what the Bible says about sexual ethics is pretty clear. Sex is for an exclusively committed uh, monogamous marriage between a man and a woman and sex outside of that covenant of marriage is, is sinful. And so living for Jesus as a single person of whatever orientation you might have means living celibately. And of course through the gospel of Jesus Christ God welcomes all sinners. We're all sinners. And he welcomes all sinners who repent. I think the very word conversion in that bill is actually a bit of an attack on basic Christian teaching. For everyone is called to a radical conversion from a life centered on self to putting Christ at the center of our lives. And of course, there's forgiveness for all of our sins, for those who come to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And his empowering spirit will enable us to live for him. So that's basic Christian teaching. That's normal, healthy Christian discipleship. We get into small groups, so we study the Bible, we pray for each other to help each other obey the Bible. This is normal Christian discipleship. And so would you pray on for wisdom for those who are promoting uh, this legislation, are going to advance these bills in, uh, in Westminster and quite possibly in Holyrood as well, that they would have great wisdom not to end up making basic Christianity illegal in this nation. So it seems to me that opposition is going to grow and public shaming is going to grow of Christians uh, in the UK. And of course, far worse things are happening throughout the world uh, to Christians. Uh, we heard from one of our own members at the end of last year who grew up in Nigeria about the Islamic fundamentalist attacks that they ex experienced in northern Nigeria, how um, churches are being burnt down, uh, people are being killed for being Christians, including some of... Uh, her relatives. And so how are we to live as Christians when we face opposition and persecution? How are we supposed to live in that environment? What does it look like to be a loving church even when under attack? Now that's exactly what the Apostle Paul uh, it deals with in Romans chapter 12. So please open your Bibles back up to Romans chapter 12. And uh, I wanted to draw your attention particularly to verse 9, which is kind of the overall heading for this section of text. We began to look at it a few weeks ago. And the, the heading for this text in, in chapter 12, verse 9, is this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That's the banner heading. And this morning we're going to focus on verses 14 to 21. And I want us to consider three characteristics of a loving church under attack. Three characteristics of a loving church under attack. Firstly, we repay cursing 
with blessing. We repay cursing with blessing. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, Christians have always been maligned. Jesus warned us, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but he who stands firm will be saved. And this is part of discipleship training in the book of Acts. This is what Paul and Barnabas taught the church as they went as missionaries, saw people who got saved, planted churches. As they returned back to the churches, they strengthened the disciples, encouraged them to remain true to the faith, saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So the, it's not going to be a surprise to us if we experience opposition in some form or another. The question is, how should we react to people who desire to cause us emotional or physical hurt? How should we respond to people who are intent on, on causing emotional or physical hurt? Well, the natural response is to dish it right back, isn't it? Uh, that's the worldly wisdom uh, of our age. If someone curses you, curse them right back. If you get hit, hit them harder. Payback time uh, is, is, is the natural and emotional response. And Liam Neeson has made a very good career out of making movies like this. But God's saved people are called not to conform to this kind of worldly way of wisdom, but to live a transformed life. So how striking is verse 14? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So there's two parts to this, isn't it? First of all, that we don't give the instinctive response back. Do not curse them. What does it mean to curse? Well, curse means, I suppose, to, to pray and wish that bad, disadvantageous, and undesirable things will happen to them. The disciples of Jesus struggled with this one. When a Samaritan village um, uh, did not welcome Jesus and the disciples as they were heading to Jerusalem, James and John had a very helpful suggestion for Jesus. Uh, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? That was very helpful, wasn't it? Uh, it's a pretty clear illustration of calling down curses on people, uh, well-named, uh, the sons of thunder. Jesus turned to them and rebuked them. No, this is not the way he taught them. Uh, as, it's as it was recorded a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 6, it said, Jesus said exactly this. Paul's just copying the teaching of Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who ill treat you. So far from cursing them, uh, cursing people who malign and, and mistreat us, we are called to bless them. Now what does it mean to bless? To bless means to, to pray that good, beneficial, and desirable things will happen to others. Now, this is a radical and transformational way of thinking and behavior, isn't it? I would say that uh, what Paul teaches here is nigh on impossible 
if you're not a Christian. If you're not genuinely a born-again Christian, it's hard enough when you are a Christian, right? I think it's not impossible if you're not. Let me explain why. How is this response of blessing those who persecute us possible? It is not something we feel like doing. Let's be honest. It's not something we feel like doing. So how does this response of not cursing but blessing, how does it come about? Now the key thing in all this, uh, the, the remaining part of Romans chapter 12 is in this opening two verses. So look back at chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. These really are the key. 12 verse 1, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The key to this transformational way of living doesn't come from our instinctive feelings. It comes by the renewing of our minds. We need to think first. This renewed mind is, is one where we allow the gospel of God to shape how we think about ourselves, and how we think about other people. So let's just do a bit of thinking this morning, okay? Sorry to break it to you, but we're going to do a bit of thinking. Uh, so that phrase, in view of God's mercy, that's what informs all of this ethical instruction, in view of God's mercy. So if we should experience someone trying to cause us physical or emotional harm, we need to step back from the situation to think this through in the light of the gospel of God. Here are a few questions to consider. Why are they seeking to harm me? Well, we can begin at the beginning of Romans and start reading through again as he's expounded the gospel. There is deep down in the soul of the persecutor someone who is an enemy of God. They do not glorify God nor give thanks to him and so their thinking is debased and their hearts are darkened. That's what Paul has been teaching. They're enslaved to their own uh, passions and desires and their rebellion against the creator fills them with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. That's what Paul has been teaching. They're under the power of sin. And so it's not surprising then if, if their tongues practice deceit, if their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness and their feet are, are swift to shed blood, that their hearts are full of agitation rather than being at peace because they do not fear God. They're enemies of God and therefore they're enemies of the gospel. So it's no surprise that they behave the way that they do. So we need to step back from the hurt that we're experiencing, to consider the hurt they're causing themselves by their sinful persecution. All the while, their stubbornness and unrepentant hearts, Paul says, back in uh, Romans chapter 2, are storing up wrath 
for themselves, for the day of God's wrath, when God's judgment will be revealed. How tragic. They are deepening their own guilt. They're increasing their own punishment from a holy God. Can we step back from experiencing persecution and consider the spiritual state of the persecutor? And as we think this through, does it not begin to arouse in us some compassion for those persecuting us? Second question, how has God treated me? What were we like before God revealed his mercy to us? Well, again, think back to what we've looked in the book of Romans. And if you weren't here, you can go this afternoon and start reading through the book of Romans. You'll see it. Whether we were pagans, moralists, or religious, all of us had turned away from God. None of us were righteous. We all sinned. We all fell short of the glory of God. We too were God's enemies. We too were disobedient to God. But amazing grace. God has shown us his great mercy. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He died for us while we were still sinners. We are now being reconciled to God. Consider the grace and the mercy of God to us as forgiven people. This is what God is like. All that's tied up in that phrase, in view of God's mercy. And he's called us into his family, hasn't he? And his spirit has, has brought about our adoption. And we are called to the family likeness of the God that we call to as Father. And what's our Heavenly Father like? Well, Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6 this reason for loving our enemies. He says this, but love your enemies, do harm, do good to them, not harm, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And so that opening phrase, 12 verse 1, of, of in view of his mercy, is pregnant with, the, with the, all that gospel content. And it should remind us, God has been so incredibly merciful to me. We who were once disobedient, we who were just as lost as the person persecuting us. And as we consider that, does that not spur us to have some hope for the persecutor? Not just compassion, but some hope. If he did it for us, he could do it for them. In fact, wasn't that the Apostle Paul's very testimony? The persecutor shown the mercy of God who becomes the preacher of the gospel. These are just a few lines of thought where we can allow the gospel of God to renew our minds so that we can find that Instead of being conformed to the way the world responds, the natural response to unjust suffering, we can actually be transformed to live differently and distinctively. We can actually repay cursing with blessing. 
Jesus not only taught this, he practiced it, didn't he? Even as he looked on those that had crucified him, as he hung in agony on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He blesses those who cursed him. And we too can bless our enemies by praying to our Heavenly Father, who is so merciful and kind, and ask that he might have mercy and save those who persecute us. It's a radical different way of living, isn't it? I think you can only do that if you've, if you've known the mercy of God in your own life. The second identifier of a loving church under attack is that we stay united in humble harmony. We stay united in humble harmony. So have a look at verse 50. We're on to the next slide now, I think. Uh, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, when we're stressed, uh, when we feel pressurized by the circumstances of life around us, it's all too easy just to be completely self-absorbed, isn't it? And actually to take it out on our family and those around us, our flatmates. The life that's transformed by the gospel will be quite different. The renewed mind will remember what we learned back in chapter, uh, in verses 4 and 5. Remember verse 4? For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, we're getting a taste of this dynamic right now in the Six Nations. Um, over the joy and the elation of, that some of you felt when Scotland won the Calcutta Cup. Oh, the joy you felt. You know, you exulted in the victory of Scotland over England. You shared the joy of the team. Uh, their win was your win. Together as one. Right? And yet, and yet, what sadness and desolation when Scotland lost the Doddy Weir Cup to Wales. <laughs> and I have to tell you, the Welsh nation are going for a very similar roller coaster at the moment as well. But how much more significant is this connection that we have as believers in Jesus Christ? In Christ, we are one body. Each member belongs to all the others. And when we allow this reality to renew our minds, then the successes and joys of one member are my success. And their disappointments are my disappointments. We're a spiritual family where we mourn with the sadnesses of our family and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And of course, this can be very difficult if we're mourning the, the lack of something that others are rejoicing and ha are having in our fellowship. And this calls for great sympathy and wisdom as we seek to live together as the family of God. 
But the more that we think of each other in this renewed way, that we are part of one body, the more we're going to live in harmony together as we think the same thoughts one with another. Now, we've already been considering uh, in earlier sermons some of the specific challenges uh, in the, uh, of the situation in Rome. Uh, it seems that there were some tensions between Jewish believers in Jesus and Gentile believing uh, believers. Uh, the disunity and disharmony of the world around us can easily shape our thinking in church. We can allow the sort of the social and ethnic and, and um, political um, divisions and prejudices, we can allow them into church if we're going to be conformed to thinking of the world. But not when our minds are renewed. This image of the, of the body is a very powerful image, isn't it? My nose does not consider itself to be superior to my kidneys um, or my toe. It's not too proud to associate even with my sticky out ears. No, it's a comedic thought, isn't it? But we don't think like that because we're all part of one body. We are, we are all one. In exactly the same way, in Christ we are one body. People may be proud and haughty in the world around us. They might consider themselves too important uh, to relate or talk to people who they deem beneath them. But that should have no place in the Christian church. There should be no place for such foolish conceit amongst Christian brothers and sisters. For we're all one body in the local church. So when church is over, let's not just speak to the people who look like us or who talk like us. But knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who welcomed us into his family... Uh, we should be looking to talk with those who are a bit different to us. Those who maybe we find a bit difficult or uh, the troubled, the broken, the, the, the ones we find demanding and draining. For we are all one body. So how crucial this is for a church under attack to stay united by living in humble, loving harmony. Thirdly, a loving church under attack is one that overcomes evil with good. Look at verse 17 again. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How can evil overcome us? Well, the answer is there in verse 17. When we repay anyone evil for evil. That's how evil will overcome us. We've already thought about the importance of almost standing back from persecution and to consider our response to the persecutor. But we must also be aware that our own souls are in a spiritual battle. 
in times of persecution. It is evil to bring unjust suffering on another person. It is evil. It is wrong. And as victims, we need to remind ourselves that there's something far greater at stake than the damage to my possessions or damage to my body, and it is the spiritual state of my soul. Revenge can feel so right. Payback can feel honorable. They had it coming. They deserved it. And how easily our anger can turn to sin. We can be seduced by temptation to return evil for evil. And yet when we give ourselves over to evil, we've lost. We've allowed the devil to get a foothold in our life. We've been overcome by evil and we've stepped back from the light into the darkness. And when evil overtakes us, evil begets evil. It is a downward spiral. That's why we're anxious about the start of a potential war. When war's unleashed, things can spin out of control. Terrible things can happen. Now, how can we overcome evil rather than be overcome by evil? And I want you to notice from our verses that, again, it starts with our minds. We shouldn't be surprised at this, should we? It starts with our minds. Look at verse 17. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. The uh, original Greek word translated here, careful, means to take thought before you respond. To perceive and think through your actions before you start. And once again, this transformed life just comes through the renewing of our minds. Here's the first step. It starts with a premeditated commitment to choose to do what is right, to do what is good, to do what is excellent. Uh, that word can even mean beautiful, to do beautiful acts. Why? Well, because it reveals the family likeness of our Heavenly Father. For He is kind and merciful. As it says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says this, that our Heavenly Father causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Consider the character of our Heavenly Father. He is so kind to this sinful and rebellious world. People are doing unspeakably evil things, harmful things in the world today. And yet God continues to bless this world to sustain it and to care for us all. His blessings come upon the righteous and the wicked. And he calls on his children to, to love those who do not deserve to be loved and to follow his example of perfect, patient love. So that's step one. Step two, verse 18, do all we can to live at peace with everyone. Do all that we can to live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, he says, and of course it's not always possible, and as far as it depends on you, be a person of peace. Don't be the sort of person who keeps trying to antagonize other people, to wind people up, to provoke people, to constantly look to start a fight. 
in view of God's mercy. Remember that phrase? Remember that one of the great blessings of our salvation is peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we allow this knowledge of the real peace that we have with God, then it begins to change and transform us. The turmoil and restlessness of our souls are quieted. And when we begin to grow in that peace with God, we will grow at peace with those around us. Step three, <clears throat> do not take revenge. Verse 19. Notice there's great sympathy in Paul's command here. My, uh, my dear friends, he says. I think within that is the recognition it is so hard to experience unjust suffering. Oh, my dear friends. We will experience injustice. We will meet malevolent people. We will suffer loss. But the gospel of God supplies us with reasons not to take revenge into our own hands. In our personal lives, we, we have too limited a perspective to be the jury and the judge. Next week, we're going to think Romans chapter 13. We're going to think there is a role for the state with the sword. Uh, there is an importance of justice in society, but in chapter 12, we're thinking about you taking personal response of revenge. The problem is that I'm partial, I'm biased, I'm swayed by my own passions and desires. I cannot be the jury and the judge and the executioner. And we know that there is a righteous God who is a just judge, a God who sees all things and knows the motivations of our hearts. And God has promised, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. See, those who persecute us will ultimately not get away with their wickedness. And we need to leave room for God to act. And again, this is exactly how Jesus behaved. Think about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He says this, When they hurled their insults at him, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. But the Christian life is not just a negative thing. It's not we just, we just refrain from things. We refrain from revenge. We're called to something even more radical than that. Step four. It is to overcome evil with positive good. Verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. It is to commit to doing good to our enemies. Uh, to simply, not simply bless them with our words and our prayers, but to actually do them practical good. This is how we'll overcome evil with good. This is Christian victory. That we do not step back into the darkness, but we advance uh, the light of Christ's kingdom in this broken and rebellious world. Now clearly this phrase, uh, the heaping burning coals, is metaphorical. And I think what it's saying is something like this, that when we respond with kindness and blessing to those who are cursing and harming us, 
we will cause them acute embarrassment and shame. Our response will be so radically different to the way that it is expected that it will cause them to have red faces with shame. That such actions will cause their own conscience to trouble them and to cause them pain. And perhaps this might even bring them to repentance and salvation. This is radical teaching, isn't it? I don't know how you can live like this unless you are a born-again Christian who knows the mercy of God. But this is what we are called to. Three characteristics of a loving church under attack. And I think as time goes on, this is no longer going to be a theoretical category. So we need to learn these lessons now that we are the sort of church that repay cursing with blessing. That we, we stay united in humble harmony and that we overcome evil with good. What, what power and witness these things are to the grace of God to a rebellious world. Graham Staines was a missionary doctor from Australia who'd been caring for lepers in India and working on Bible translation. There's some very moving testimonies from the lepers who were considered untouchables and told that they deserved their leprosy because of bad karma by their religious leaders. They were left to die until Graham and his wife Gladys Staines uh, turned up and started a leprosy mission and welcomed them and cared for them. 23 years ago, on January the 23rd, 1999, Graham was sleeping in his car with his uh, two boys after attending a Bible conference in Orissa State in India. In the night, a mob of fundamentalist Hindu radicals, uh, 50 of them, smashed up the car, prevented them from leaving it, They put straw underneath, they poured gasoline and set it on fire, killing all three. The reaction of his wife Gladys was an incredible witness. This is what she said. I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry. I can forgive their killers. Only Jesus can forgive their sins. But they will have to ask. I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. Every Indian should know that Jesus loves him or her, and in turn they should trust him and endeavor to love one another. Let's burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. The world's not worthy of people like that. Let's sing. I invite the band up and let me pray. Oh, Father, even as we read these verses, they feel beyond us. Um, And yet, Lord, you remind us of your incredible mercy to us. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us to so grasp this glorious gospel that we would think rightly and reflect your great mercy and love to others. Lord, if difficult days should come our way, would you remind us of these verses and empower us to live differently? Father, we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.
Let's stand and sing of this great love that God has loved us. God who gives endurance and encouragement give us the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and God's people said Amen.